fellas, if you go ahead and take up the offering, and um, if uh, if they don't give enough, go back around and hit them up again. So, <laughs> just kidding. It is uh, it is good to be back. I uh, I learned one thing. I, you know, I, I've flown lots of times in my life, and of course, I flew out to see mom. It's it's such a long drive. It's 12 to 14 hours, depending on how many stops you make along the way to, to get out there. So I flew out, and, and I learned something in this, in this flight. I, for the first time ever, I saw my pilot. And I hope I never see my pilot again. Um, and I don't mean that against the pilots in, in a critical way at all, but this young man, and I mean young man, um, got off the plane to make one last pit stop, I guess, and, and take care of things before he was flying us from Evansville, Indiana, down to Atlanta. And um, I saw him. And I thought, oh my goodness. Either I'm getting older, these pilots are getting younger. I'm not sure which. But I, I knew something was wrong when he had on the back of his uniform, yes, I'm old enough to fly this plane. <laughs> that was my first clue. My second clue... <laughs> Now, Evansville is a wonderful airport. It's, it's, it's small, it's, but it's a beautiful little airport. Not a lot of planes go out of Evansville, Indiana on any given day, but some do. That day, our plane uh, was, was taxing. In fact, as I sat down with the group, now the, the plane to Atlanta was full. There was not an empty seat on that plane. And so the, the group of us are sitting, waiting for us to board, and we finally were able to board, and uh, we, we uh, get on the plane. No other planes anywhere in sight. We get out to, to, to the taxiway to, to get ready to take off, and the pilot says, we are next to depart. And I start looking around. What do you mean, next to depart? Well, yeah, there probably won't be another flight out of here for two hours. Of course, we're next to depart. And so then he stopped, and we waited for... It had to be at least a minute. And when you're on a plane, you know minutes are like hours. And I'm thinking, what is going on? There's not a plane within miles. Why are we sitting here? And I was just expecting any moment for him to come across that sound system and say, uh, this flight has been canceled because I can't seem to find my flight license. I just didn't know what was going to happen next. But... Thank God he got us to Atlanta, and that in itself is, is a major accomplishment. And I, and I got back here uh, just in time for a group Monday night, and, and uh, so I do, again, thank you for prayers on Mom's behalf. Keep those prayers uh, going, if you don't mind, and um, God, God will, will hear, and, and, uh, and I thank you for that. Well, today, I'm real excited. We are going to jump in here to this letter of Titus. When I was here last time, we kind of gave an introduction of the, of the overall letter. We're going to begin to get right to it. This greeting or salutation, if you want to call it as such, is, is amazing. Um, first of all, it, it, it may be Paul's, I guess I need to investigate and see, but I think this very well may be his longest greeting of all. Certainly, it's the longest greeting in one sentence. He does all of this in one sentence. I think he was so excited in writing to Titus that he just, he just went crazy. He just started writing. He goes, oh, I better put a period in here somewhere. He was just going 100 miles an hour right from the get-go. And, and the thing that, that just astonishes me, even in the greeting, even in the greeting, is Paul's 
commitment and the fact that he was such a committed leader. Now, what I want us to look at today is what Paul was committed to. And we will see in this greeting uh, four different things that he is committed to. And I, and I hope and pray that we will glean the riches from this greeting. Now, a lot of times you think a greeting, hey, how you doing? You don't get a lot out of it. But Paul is deep. He's very, very deep. And especially when you break some of these words down in the Greek, and we're going to try to do that just a little bit this morning. But there is some, there is some great, great stuff that we really, really need to look at and pay close attention. So let's begin with prayer. And then I'm going to read verses 1 through 5 and then go into one verse past the actual greeting uh, because there is something else that he's committed to that I want us to see this morning. And then next week we're going to get right to uh, the characteristics of an elder. And uh, so let's, let's pray, and then we'll look at verses 1 through 5 of Titus chapter 1. Father, again, we thank you so much for your word, what the, the, the encouragement that we can receive from it, the, the strength, the nurturing, the teaching, uh, the everything we need uh, is, is right here in your word. And Father, I just thank you for Paul. I can't wait to meet him someday as we are all together with you. I want to spend many, 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 many years worshiping you and, and Christ and the Holy Spirit. But I think maybe uh, after that, I, I want to look up Paul and just get to know him better. What a, what a great, great man of you he was and, and the legacy that he has left for us. So help us to learn from uh, his commitment today and, and just truly to, to look at ourselves, to do some self-examining. And see if perhaps we need to be more committed to you as well. Speak to us now. Be the message of the messenger. And I just thank you once again for this great letter. In Jesus' name, amen. Titus 1, verse 1 down through verse 5. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time and at his appointed season, he brought his word to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior to Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Now, again, today we're going to focus on the commitment of Paul. And first of all, I want you to see that he is committed to God first and foremost. Above everything else in life, he is committed to God. He starts off by saying, Paul, a servant of God. Now, Paul sees himself totally and completely under the authority of God. He could have very easily introduced himself as Paul, a brilliant scholar, or Paul, a highly educated Jewish ruler, 
or Paul, a Roman citizen, which carried a lot of weight, especially on this island of Crete. Because this island of Crete, if you remember when I shared with you last time, was, was predominantly controlled by Roman and Greek culture. So for, for Paul to introduce himself as a Roman citizen, he would have immediately had an audience. But he doesn't do any of that. He absolutely does not do any of that. He says, Paul, a servant of God. And that word servant is an amazing word. It's not our normal word for servant. It's not the normal Greek word for servant. The word that Paul uses is the word doulos. And that word in the Greek means a fully committed slave. Paul is saying, you want to know who I am? You want to know how I want to introduce myself to you? I am a complete, sold out, fully committed slave of God. Wow. Church, if we had one-tenth, now listen to me. If we had one-tenth, of the commitment to God that Paul had, there would not be an empty chair in this service, nor the next service. We would be doing a third service, and we would be trying to figure out where we're going to put the rest of the people. I mean that. I told one-tenth, one-tenth of his commitment. This man lived, breathed, ate, slept, everything was God. His life was God. He was, you say, Paul, why are you here? God. <laughs> that would be his one word answer, God. What an amazing man. Paul is in complete but willing bondage to God. He had no life except God. He had no calling except God. He had no purpose except God. He had no plan except God. He was totally and completely under the, the subjection of God. His every breath was under the mastery of God. Now what about us? What about us? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20 basically says this. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. Not very far from, from Titus here. Just a few pages over, you'll come to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. And notice what we read from Peter. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. Whew, that's a long sentence. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Turn next to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. 2 Corinthians 5.15 And he died for all that those who lived should no longer live for themselves but for him who
who died for them and was raised again. He, he, you see that? He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. If you're living for yourself, you're not a Paul. You're not doing it God's way. You don't have the commitment of Paul. And we need to have the commitment of Paul. Now, these few passages that I've just read should hopefully help us realize that we are and we want to be servants of God. Now, I'm going to have you say that with me. I am a servant of God if you mean it. And if you don't, that's okay. If you're not there yet, I understand that. But if you're really ready to, to take your life spiritually to the next level, then I want you to just say with me, I am a servant of God. So let's say this together. I am a servant of God. Thank you. And I hope you mean it. And I hope you're going to even read further and read this letter every single day. I want you to read this the whole time we're in this series. I want you to read Titus every day. You know what? In my Bible, and, and by the way, this is, this is a, uh, it's called a thin line Bible, but this is large print, and it's getting smaller every day for some reason. But it is large print. But, but the entire letter of Titus is from here to here. It's not going to take you a long time to read it each day. But if you're a servant of God, you're going to want to eagerly do that as well as read many other things throughout your day. That's what servants of God do. That's one of the things that they do. Paul also introduces himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And of course, that word apostle comes from the Greek word apostolos. And it means a special messenger or ambassador. Now we, Paul tells us, that we are all ambassadors of Christ. And I don't know that we need to be running around calling ourselves apostles because there's nothing special about us. It's the message that's special. And that's what we need to convey to everybody around us. Hey, I'm just, I'm just, the, I'm just the glass. It's what's inside that counts. I'm just the, the messenger. It's the message that counts. It's the message that's special. And the message is the gospel of Jesus Christ. His death, his burial, his resurrection, his coming again, his teaching people that the only way you're ever going to get to heaven, the only way you're going to know God, the only way you're going to have a relationship with God, the only way you're ever going to see God in Christ and live with them for eternity is to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, to have your sins washed away and to live for Him every day of your life, to be a servant of God, to be committed to God like Paul was. And that's what we need to, to, to do, strive to do every day. Secondly, Paul was committed to God's people. He was not only committed to God, first and foremost he was, but next he was committed to God's people. He says, for the faith, the faith of God's elect. Now don't let that word elect throw you for a loop. Elect are those who have chosen God. The elect are those who have chosen God. Now I truly admire Don DeWelt who uh, 
uh, is a former professor of Ozark Christian College. I, I, I love my professors at Johnson, but um, I wish I could have, and, and several of us from Johnson were talking one day, it would be so neat to have the best professors of each college, if we could just somehow work that out. Uh, to where you can sit under these great teachers of God. Uh, Don DeWell is one that I certainly would have chosen uh, to sit under. But, but he says this about that word elect, and I really appreciate what he says. He says, God elects those who elect to follow him. God elects those who elect to follow him. The choice of election is in the sure knowledge of God and the free will of man, man at the same time with no conflict to either. In other words, God knows our destination. He knows where you're going to end up for eternity. But you will choose. You will choose based on how you live your life. You will choose to be with God in heaven and Christ in heaven, or you will choose to be with the devil and hell and, and, and all those fallen angels based on how you live your life, based on who the Lord and master of your life in this life while you are breathing is. So, so don't get all confused and, and caught up in this election thing. God has not already chosen who, who's going. You choose. He just knows. You choose, but he, he knows everyone's destination. And so my advice would be, well, choose wisely. Uh, choose his way. Choose to follow Christ. For the faith of God's elect, Paul says. You see, Paul's every waking moment was evangelism. Now, I know... Uh, we, we've started talking about this. And you're going to hear me mention this a lot. Uh, each one pray for one. Each one win one. And each one become one. I'm hoping that's going to be our theme for a long, long time. Uh, perhaps years to come. <coughs> Let me throw a scenario. What if tomorrow at 7 o'clock, 100 of us gathered here for prayer from 7 to 8. Now this is everybody, kids included. And then from 8 to 5, we go to school or we go to work, we go wherever our day leads us, and, and we, in that day, talk and strive to lead five people to Christ. Well, after just one day, that means 500 contacts have been made 500 people have been contacted, have been uh, shared with, the Lord has shared, you've shared the Lord with 500 people all together. And let's say next week, next Sunday morning, that just one of that entire 500 comes down this aisle and accepts Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, has their sins washed away, making him Lord and Savior forever and ever. You know what? It's worth it. All the effort, all the prayer, all the effort that everybody has made collectively, even if just one comes, it's worth it. It's worth it. Because that's one soul that Satan has lost. And so you see, Paul was, 
And he was so committed to the church, to the elect, and, and to winning more for Christ. So committed. But he was also committed to God's word. That's what I want us to see thirdly here. He was committed to God's word. We see that here in verses 2 and 3. And in one part of this, he says, which God who does not lie. And I love what we read over in Hebrews 6, 18, which simply says, it's impossible for God to lie. Now, now think about Hebrews 6, 18. Think about what Paul has written right here in Titus 2 and 3. Think about that very fact. God is incapable of lying. God is the source and measure of all truth. Now, when the devil speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar. In fact, over in John 8, 44, we read that he is the father of lies. But when God speaks the truth, he also speaks from his own nature. He is the father of truth, the creator of truth. In fact, if God cannot tell a lie, if God can in no way lie, that can only mean one thing. This is the truth. Everything in here is the truth. Now, I know what you're saying. Well, yeah, but if God wrote all this, of course he's going to say that. Well, all right, here it comes down to. It comes down to faith. We either believe this, we either believe God is a God of truth and that he is incapable of lying, or we don't. Somebody's wrong. I'm not prepared to say God's wrong. If you are, stay far from me, because I, I don't want to stay around when you get zapped. No, I'm just kidding. But, but I, I, I'm not prepared to say that God is a liar or anything about him is a lie. Therefore, I can, only, I can only assume, and more than assume, I can only know that his word is also the truth. He's committed to it. God is committed to it. Paul was committed to God's word. And know how we should be too. Are you in the Word every day? What's crowding it out? In your mind, quickly run through your day and ask yourself, what is crowding out my time with God and His Word? And then start eliminating so that there can be time with God and His Word. If you need to let go of a TV show, let go of a TV show. If you need to let go of something else that just doesn't measure up to the importance of God's word, then you need to let go of whatever it is so that you can spend time with God. And I'm not just talking about reading Titus and spending four and a half minutes. Okay, I read it. I did, Steve's, I did what Steve told me to do. It has nothing to do with Steve. It has everything to do with your relationship with God. If you are committed to God, and we've already talked about Paul's commitment to God, if you really are serious about your commitment with God, then you really are going to want to know what God has to say, and the truth has already been spoken. We, we've come to that conclusion. And so you really want to know what the truth is. Paul was committed to God's word. Yes, the Holy Spirit led him to write much of it. I understand that. But even if it didn't, I'm convinced he would be committed to God's word. 
And finally, Paul is committed to godly leadership. He is committed to godly leadership. We can see that in verse 5. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Now, what's the big deal about having elders in every town and in every church? Well, let me just go through a couple of things in this letter, right here in the first chapter even, uh, that, that point out some of the issues going on. This, this island of Crete was pagan. I hear some serious stuff going on, and the church was caught up in much of it. And there needed to be godly men setting the example, being committed like Paul was committed to God and to his word and to the flock. And so let me just share a few things. Uh, look over here in the, in the first chapter. Uh, well, let's just look at, at verse 10 and, and a little bit farther down here. Let me, let me just share some of this with you. Uh, 10, 10 and 11, we'll start off there. For there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, especially of the, those of the circumcision group, that would be Jews. They must be silenced because they are ruining whole households by teaching things. They ought not to teach. And that for the sake of dishonest gain. Now look at verse 13. Just We'll skip 12, but go right to verse 13 and read down through verse 16. This testimony is true. Therefore rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny Him. How many of us see that today? Oh, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, yeah, I'm born again, but, but your actions show nothing like that. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny Him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Do you kind of see why there needed to be some good, strong, biblical leaders in these churches? Do you see why maybe there needed to be some strong, committed elders in these churches? Wow. And we need them here. We, we need them. Every church needs biblical elders. Now, I want to talk about elders for just a few minutes as we close out. The Greek word for elder is presbutero. Presbutero, and it means an older, an older, mature man. That's what it actually means in the Greek. If you were to go to the Koine Greek dictionary and look up the word for elder trans, trans, to, to presbytero, you would find it simply says an older, mature man. Now, don't panic. <laughs> Hang with me. There are many older men that are not 
spiritually qualified or have the characteristics of an elder. And thus they should not be an elder. There are younger men, and I think these younger men need to be seasoned Christians, in other words, Christians for uh, uh, quite a few years, believers that, that are, are strong in their commitment to Christ, but they do have the characteristics as we will get into next week and, and, and go through all those. They do have those characteristics. Therefore, they are qualified to lead as an elder. But an elder needs to lead by example. And we have several terms in the Bible used for elder. One of those is overseer, one is bishop, one is pastor, one is shepherd. Now, I am not an elder. I am a minister, and that is totally different. Scripturally, that is totally different. I would be described in the Bible as an evangelist. I am not an elder. I am a minister, and I do think there needs to be a distinct difference. Uh, certainly, I do many of the things an elder does. I do pastor. I do shepherd. I do oversee. Uh, that's part of my responsibility. But my, as a minister, my main responsibility is to evangelize, to preach, to present, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, these elders are the spiritual leaders of the congregation. The deacons, there is, again, there is a, a, def, a definite difference between a deacon and an elder. The word for deacon is diakonos, and it means servant. Now, it's not the same word that Paul used when he used doulos. The word diakonos just simply means to serve, and that's what deacons do. They work along with the elders, under the elders, to serve the congregation. And that's, that, is their, that is what they are to do. And, and it's, it's a wonderful role. And we need deacons like we need elders. We, we need men that are willing to serve the congregation in different areas. And we, we have deacons here that serve in different areas. And, and they're wonderful. And I thank God for them. And, and their role is very, very important. But they are not an elder. There is definitely a difference. Elders are to lead by example. Turn over to Hebrews <clears throat> chapter 13, verse 7. Again, right after uh, Titus, Philemon, James, you get all these right here. Hebrews 13, verse 7 says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of the way of their, their way of life <clears throat> and imitate their faith. Remember your leaders. And that, and that word here is incorporating elders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Every elder should strive to have the commitment to God, to the church, to his word that Paul had. Every elder should whether it's an elder here or an elder in any church. Every elder needs to be in God's word every day. Every elder needs to be a prayer warrior. When you're not in the word, you are praying without ceasing as Paul has taught us to do. 
praying without ceasing. Every elder needs to, to be shepherds and watching over the flock. Every elder should be a tither. Every elder should be setting the example in every way of spirituality. Every elder should be setting the example in every way of spirituality. You should be leading by example. One other scripture that I want us to look at real quick is found over in Acts chapter 20, verse 28 and, and 29. <clears throat> Acts 20. 28 and 29. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Oh my. Right here we see what's going to happen if there's not biblical leadership. If there's not elders being elders. But here's my point as we close out. Not everybody qualifies to be an elder. Some of us are the wrong gender to be an elder. But that doesn't and shouldn't even begin to dampen our spirit to have the characteristics of an elder. And like I said, Lord willing, next week we will get to those. Whether you are young or old, and I'm hoping I'm looking at future elders right here with you young people, you young men, and, and, and others. I, I, I don't care whether you're young or old, whether you're male or female, whether you're elder or not, elder being older, every believer, every Christian should be committed like Paul was. I would hope that we would strive to develop these characteristics as we will begin to break them down next week. And that you'll even desire to come back next week so that you can know exactly what these characteristics are. So you can know how to pattern your life. Because here's what's going to happen. Even if you are not qualified uh, per se, according to the scripture, to be an elder, just think, if we have an entire congregation with the characteristics, all of us having the characteristics of an elder, how strong would this church be? Oh my goodness. Again, there would not be an empty chair anywhere. We don't have to run around calling ourselves pastor or shepherd or bishop or overseer, any of those. We just need to do the work. We need to do what God calls us to do. And we need not only to do the work, we need to live the life. We need to have those characteristics in our lives. And when that happens, I guarantee you, I promise you, we don't need any more programs. We don't need to read any more books. We've got the book. What we need is to implement what the scripture says and be the people that God has called us to be. And then these, these chairs, they're not pews, they're chairs, these will not be empty. They will be full. And we'll be bringing more people because we are doing what God has called all of us to do. So let's stand right now.
And let's just really commit our lives to Him. If you need to rededicate your life this morning, don't hesitate. Come right up here and do that. If you need Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if you've not been immersed into Him, if you've not accepted Him as Lord and Savior, I want you to do that. It's for you. It's not for me. I don't get extra credit in heaven. God's not going to say, Oh, Steve, you're one short. Sorry, but you can't come in. No! And it's all about you and the Lord. Or if you already, an immersed believer, want to be a part of this fellowship, then just come right down this aisle and just be a part of the fellowship. We need Pauls out there. We need commitment. And I'm counting on you. I'm counting on me. I, I preached to myself this morning. I preached to all of us that we might have the commitment that God would have us to be so that we can be the church that he would have us to be. Let's sing it, and let's react to it, and let's go out these doors and live it.